I think it's pretty safe to say that if you grew up in the Cartoon Network era, then your introduction into anime could be traced back to a programming block called Toonami. If you're anything like me and the friends I had growing up, it was an all-out mad dash to get off the bus and run home as quickly as you could to pick up where you left off with Dragon Ball Z the day before. But we'll get to that in a little later in this video. Toonami would end up debuting March 17, 1997, its sole purpose being to introduce an action block of cartoons directed at the pre-teen and teenage audiences that were looking for something a little more grown up. But before Toonami would become a part of the zeitgeist and our everyday routines, there were two different blocks dating back to the inception of Cartoon Network that would try to capture not only the imaginations of the viewers, but also capture that same age range of audiences that would gravitate towards Toonami. The first being the Super Adventures block in October of 92, that would showcase cartoon reruns of shows from the Hanna-Barbera and most of the pre-91 Ruby Spears library that were purchased by Ted Turner back in October of 91. Some of those shows in rotation would be Space Ghost, Birdman, and Fantastic Four. Super Adventures would ultimately be replaced and revamped with another block of programming called Afternoon Adventures that would run until Toonami got its hands around our collective hearts. Something really cool to go back and look at is some of the lineups and series that would play during these time slots. Shows like Frankenstein Jr. and the Impossibles, The Herculoids, and Thundar the Barbarian probably are the three shows when I think of this era, this is what I think about. And I don't think people talk about these ones enough. The Super Adventures and Afternoon Adventures really laid the foundation and groundwork for future projects that would end up changing what we would consume. Flash forward to March 17, 1997, the birth of Toonami. Mike Lazlo, then programming executive at Cartoon Network, entrusted creative directors both Sean Atkins and Jason DeMarco for creating and evolving the block of action-oriented cartoons and anime into what we would come to know and love as Toonami. Toonami was born out of a necessity to evolve and push the action and anime culture into the mainstream. Its punk rock-esque vibe was the answer to a lot of our wants and needs. A block of television specifically targeted for kids that were growing out of shows like the Looney Tunes, Tom and Jerry, Scooby-Doo, and many others. This was noticed in an effort to continue giving slightly older fans something to watch that was a little edgier, a little sophisticated, and a little bit more grown up. This is where we would see necessity meeting opportunity. Like most things done during this era of Cartoon Network, it would be accomplished with very little money, a hunger and rejuvenation for pushing the envelope and really capitalizing on an untapped market. It wouldn't take long for the Toonami block to not only capture our hearts and minds, but take the whole world by storm through will and innovation. Sean Atkins said in a recent interview that for him personally, Toonami was about the collision of things. Not only was Toonami a collision, all day you were watching Wacky Races and Augie Doggy, and then at 4 o'clock, giant robots start cutting monsters in half. Right, that's sort of a collision in itself. You've got American animation colliding with animation that started in Japan and has collided with being wrapped in CGI. Also a collision, and then bringing the music to it, like beat-driven electronic music, like hip-hop or dance music. In that world, it was also a collision. Through the first few years, we would see an evolution of not just the shows that would air during the afternoon, through the early evening hours. We would see from that prime time slot, at least us kids growing up in this era, it's prime time. We would be introduced to our weekday producer director of Space Ghost Coast to Coast turned host, Moltar. Moltar, voiced by the late great C. Martin Croker, would introduce the masses to shows like Thundercats, Cartoon Roulette, Voltron, another round of Cartoon Roulette, and being closed out with the real adventures of Johnny Quest. 
While this lineup would ultimately look vastly different in the not-so-distant future, for most of us, this was a lot of our introductions into not only anime, but some of the cartoons that our parents grew up with in the heyday of Hanna-Barbera. We would see shows like Space Ghost, Birdman and the Galaxy Trio, Super Friends, the Fleischer era of Superman, the Herculoids, and so many other great cartoons of a bygone generation. And then the game completely changes on August 31st, 1998. This would be to most Americans our introduction to Dragon Ball Z, and where most of our love for anime would begin. For those of the select few that might not know what Dragon Ball Z is, Dragon Ball Z was created by Akira Toriyama, and is the sequel and ongoing storyline spinning out of Dragon Ball. DBZ continues the storyline of Goku, Defender of Earth, now an adult and first-time father with his son Gohan. We introduced to his first rival that would eventually turn friend, and let's be honest, Galaxy's greatest dad, Piccolo. Now I'm biased when I talk about Piccolo, but he for me is hands down my favorite character in Dragon Ball Z. And I think he has one of the greatest story and character arcs in anything as we would progress through the DBZ storylines over these last 30 plus years through the manga and the anime. In this first season of Dragon Ball Z, we would be introduced to Raditz, Goku's older brother, as he kidnaps his nephew Gohan, and drops Goku with a body blow. Raditz discusses with Goku, takes Gohan, and effectively we are into our first story arc. Goku would join forces with his arch nemesis at the time, Piccolo, to take down Raditz. This series, in my honest opinion, is the reason that both Toonami and anime blows up and will forever change animation in the American culture. Not only would this show propel ratings for the network, this would end up being the one-two punch that would effectively change what we consume and how we would consume anime forever. I mean, as I mentioned at the top of the show, my friends and I would literally run home as fast as we could to catch the latest episode of Dragon Ball Z. I gotta imagine that's not a story that is just unique or specific to me. I gotta imagine you probably experienced that too. The folks behind Toonami knew that there was a budding market for an adventure-esque content as well as anime, and it wouldn't be long before the first generation of Toonami Faithful would take root into our consciousness and truly push the limits of what we would watch. Not too long before the turn of the century, we would be introduced, who most of us think when we think of Toonami, TOM, the acronym being for Toonami Operations Module. Now, according to Toonami's wiki, Tom's origins have since been retconned, but they originally started out as a beta droid that was chosen by Moltar to be the captain of the Ghost Planet spaceship, Absolution, along its AI counterpart, Sarah. On July 13, 1999, we would see a change of hosts from Moltar to our first version of Tom, Tom 1. This first version of Tom, voiced by Sonny Strait, the English dub voice actor known for voicing Krillin in Dragon Ball Z. This iteration is personally in my top three versions of Tom aesthetically. I think there's something fun about a short robot with a little beer belly. It always made me feel fun and festive as a kid seeing this little sarcastic and charming robot tell us what we would watch next. We would end up having Tom 1 in the driver's chair for just north of a year. Tom would be the singular host until we all embarked on Toonami's first episode of the Toonami Total Immersion event, The Intruder, in September of 2000. During this event, we would be introduced to our co-host Sarah, voiced by lead singer for the Mekon, Sally Timms. Sarah, Tom's AI companion, as things tend to do, we would end up getting a newer version of Tom every few years. Tom too would appear into our screens and our hearts when a mysterious red blob invades the absolution, causing Tom 1 to investigate. Upon investigation, Tom 1 is actually jettisoned off the ship quite forcibly, uh, and he is 
forced to find his way back to the ship. Upon his return, he attempts to destroy this red blob, but ultimately he is overtaken and consumed. The last we see of Tom 1, you know, for at least a little while, uh, is a hand waving as he is consumed and devoured by this red blob. Now, I have to admit that this sequence of events really made me start to question and wonder, is anybody in the shows that I watch safe? If you've been around for any length of time, you begin to realize that something like this isn't the end, but a new beginning. Tom's consciousness and memories were actually transferred into a newer, sleeker looking model. Before being consumed by that mysterious red blob, this would ultimately give us Tom 2. Tom 2 would end up getting rid of the blob, but it would end up merging and mutating with the remains of Tom 1, and would be a check-in villain uh, as, as time went on. For most viewers, I think we can all agree that Tom 2 is probably our core memory when we think of Toonami. Voiced by the great Steve Bloom. You know that badass dude that not only voiced Tom, but also voiced Wolverine, Starscream, and Spike from Cowboy Bebop. And let's be honest, ladies and gentlemen, you'd be really hard-pressed to not find a show that didn't have Steve's amazing voice attached to it in some form or capacity. Tom would end up going through quite a few more evolutions through the show's tenure. Every couple of years, we would see a Nexus-level event that would alter Tom's appearance. For a lot of us, Tom was that older sibling-esque character in our lives. He entered our homes on the cable airwaves and really helped curate something new, something different, and something we might not have checked out on our own. He helped us find not only new shows, but new friendships. Like most things, we would see many changes to Toonami throughout the years. Aesthetically, we would go through two more changes of Tom before Toonami's original demise in 2008. Through those years and cycles of appearance changes, a few things always stayed the same. The first would ultimately be the growing love for anime. We would see an explosion of Japanese culture being absorbed into our culture, like the blob that consumed Tom 1. R.I.P. Japanese-inspired shows or Japanese-inspired content would directly influence both current and future animators. We would also see them take aspects from both manga and anime and absorb them into their own styles, storytelling methods, and action sequences. We would see titans in American animation discuss just how important anime like Astro Boy, Akira, Dragon Ball, Mobile Suit Gundam, Sailor Moon, Ghost in the Shell, and literally anything from Studio Ghibli and folks like Miyazaki. We would hear how these influences would open their minds and help harness a new and invigorated spirit and wonder about what could be done throughout animation. It would prove that no matter where something came from, if it was good, it was good. Long gone were the days of gatekeepers of content that would tell us what we should enjoy. Fans voted with their time. Chances are if it was good, if it pushed the level of animation further, if it made you think, or if it was different, we would ultimately see it under that reassuring blanket that was the Toonami banner. Like most things, everything has an end date. Father Time, much like the internet, is undefeated. Due to sagging viewership and low ratings, we would see Toonami, the afternoon turn late night block that brought millions of kids joy and wonder for 11 years, ultimately be cancelled. The announcement would be made on September 20th, 2008 at the Anime Weekend Atlanta convention. The final show was aired that same evening. That final show that would end up closing out Toonami and effectively turning off the lights would be a rerun of Samurai Jack. Looking back during this era, it's hard to imagine what life would have been like for a lot of us without Toonami. From the shows mentioned throughout this video to the music that I wish we could play here, it all would permeate our conscious and subconsciousness. Without this block of television, we wouldn't see shows come to an end somewhere else and find a new home and a new audience that could appreciate them like they could on Toonami. At the end of the day, Toonami to me meant acceptance. It was a cool space where we could all go and no matter what you like, chances are, Toonami had it. Tom 4, 
the last of the toms for this series, accompanied by the song Cascade by Tycho, would close the Toonami block out with a heartfelt monologue that to this day still gives me chills. It was a heartbreaking moment for a lot of us at the time. We watched a piece of our childhood be put to bed. This is what Tom 4 set us off in the sunset with. Well, this is the end, beautiful friends. After more than 11 years, this is Toonami's final broadcast. It's been a lot of fun, and we'd like to thank each and every one of you who made this journey with us. Toonami wouldn't have been anything without you. Hopefully, we've left you with some good memories. So until we meet again, stay gold. Bang. Want it back? Let us know. Hashtag bring back Toonami.